Good morning. Good morning. I hope everyone is having a good day today. Um, I'm so excited to be here. Um, it is by God's grace alone that I'm able to get up here today. And um, I want to tell you, I'm Dylan. If we haven't had the chance to meet yet, I'm the, I have the privilege of being the student director here. Um, and I love what I do. And if there's three things I could tell you about me, it's one is that I am a competitive person and I don't like losing. So, but the thing is, what I've learned is that I have to almost tone down my competitiveness in situations so that other people can just have fun. And so, and so that's what happened a couple weeks ago at kickball and, and why my team let Randy's team and the adults actually win so that they won't have to complain all day. And so that's what happened. Um, two is that I love the Word of God. I love the Bible. Um, it changed my life. Um, it took me from where I was and living in darkness, walking in darkness, and brought me into the light. And ever since then, ever since I was changed by the gospel, I've been just living for Him, living for Christ. And, and the third thing is that I love teaching. I love teaching the Word of God, and I love teaching the students. And um, it's kind of funny looking back at where I was in school. I always had a passion to teach others, whether it was in math or science or, or whatever it was. I always had a passion for to hear someone that would ultimately like the light bulb click um, and it was because of something I said or because I helped them out. And so I love teaching the Word of God, but, but ultimately we come gather today to hear what God has said to us in His Word. And, and so it's, it's been a little bit since I've gave my life to Christ, and, and where I was, I was walking in darkness, I was, I was living a life um, in direct contrast to the Word of God. And, and it's because I lived this life where I grew up hearing that Jesus died for me, and, and that's the extent of my knowledge. The only thing I could point out to you is, is possibly where Genesis was in the Bible. And so I lived this life hearing all these things about Jesus, but never fully knowing him, until one day in college when when the gospel changed my life. And, and I bring that to you today, it's because... It brings us to the context of our psalm, Psalm 102, which is where we'd be today if you want to open up to it. Psalm 102. And, and in this psalm, the psalmist is in affliction. He's walking through a difficult time. He's walking in the midst of affliction, just like I was and just like many of us are facing today. And so the main question I bring to you guys today is what type of affliction are you facing today? Maybe you feel as though you're in a dark tunnel and there's no hint of light or hope, like you're walking and walking, and no matter how much strength, no matter how much strength you expend, you cannot see the light. Maybe it's something a little closer to home with other family members. Maybe there's a deep wound in the family. Maybe it's a little bit more physical with an illness that you've been diagnosed with and you're just fighting and fighting and you're coming to the end of your strength. Maybe it's feeling something feeling like lonely, left out, or simply maybe you're here simply confused about life. 
Whatever it is, whatever you brought in here today, it's affliction. And I could go on and on about the different types of affliction that we face today, but the point is that we all face it and we all walk through it and many of us bring it here today. And so in this context, in Psalm 102, this man, he lifts a prayer up to God. He's in distress. He feels alienated, lonely, hopeless, forgotten, and even tired to the point his bones begin to ache and he begins to cry out to God. And before we dive into this, I want you guys to bear with me this morning because it's going to start out a little heavy. It's going to start out a little heavy, but in the end, we will see hope and we will see renewal and we'll see a hope for the future. But this psalm is unique for two reasons. It falls into two unique categories. The first category is that it's a penitential psalm, meaning that in the psalmist is expressing sorrow over sin. He's expressing sorrow to God. He's, he's crying out to God. Much like the famous Psalm 51 written by David, where David is, is just pleading, crying out to God to not forsake him, to renew his spirit, to purify him. And then the other category it falls into is that this psalm is a messianic psalm, meaning it has something to do and says something about the Messiah that is to come, about Jesus Christ who did come. And we'll find at the end that that the writer of Hebrews actually directly quotes this psalm when he, when he compares Jesus to the angels. And so in this psalm, we're going we're gonna to divide it up into three different sections today. The first little two verses, verses 1 and 2, that's just an introduction. But then our three sections, verses 3 through 11, we're going to focus on the afflicted man. We're going to see why he's afflicted. Verses 12 through 17, we're going to look at the hopeful man. What gives this man hope? What gives this man hope in the midst of his affliction? And lastly, verses 18 through 28 reveal the everlasting God, the one who he turns to, the one who he looks to, the one he prays to, the one who answers his prayers. So go ahead and let's dive in this morning. I want you guys to follow along as I read. We're going to start off in verses 1 and 2. Lord, hear my prayer. Let my cry for help come before you. Do not hide your face from me in my day of trouble. Listen closely to me. Answer me quickly when I call. In these first two verses, you can already see how desperate the psalmist is. He's praying to God with a passion and with a sense of desperation. He says, let my cry for help come before you. Let my cry be lifted up to you and do not hide your face from me. Meaning, do not forsake your presence. Don't take your presence away from me. Come near me in my day of trouble. And not only that, but then he continues, listen closely to me. Answer me quickly when I call. He's desperate. He wants an answer. And he's lifting his prayer toward God with this sense of desperation. And so let me ask you this. How do you pray when you're desperate? How do you pray when you're walking in affliction? The problem with the world today is that many of us don't understand the power of prayer. We don't understand what prayer is. We simply think that it's something we do around the dinner table one evening 
a night. Or maybe we do it one morning, Sunday morning in church, and then we go out throughout the whole week living our lives with no relationship with God. But listen to me, prayer is so powerful and so important that Jesus himself made it a priority. I mean, when he prayed, when he prayed, the disciples knew that there was something special and different about the way he prayed, and they asked him to teach them how to pray. I mean, that's fascinating that that the disciples, right, they asked Jesus how to pray. And so if you think that prayer is just something that we do around the dinner table or just once a day when desperation comes or maybe at the high moments of your life to thank God, you're mistaken. And in fact, Jesus, in fact, he prayed so hard. He prayed so hard that he started to sweat blood. I mean, he went to be with God. And so we need to be a people of prayer, first and foremost. We need to be a church that prays. We need to pray desperately, knowing just like this psalmist, that God hears our prayers, that our cry will go before him, and he will never forsake us. God delights in your prayers, whatever it is, whatever you bring, bring it to him in prayer. Whatever the request is, make it known to God. That's what this psalmist is doing. He's coming to God. But don't stop there. Many of us will pray one time, and if God doesn't answer that very hour or the next day, we stop praying. But he says to continue to pray. And I can assure you this man didn't just pray one time about this situation he's in. He didn't just lift one prayer up and then go on living his life. The reality is that he always answers our prayers. God always answers our prayers. And with that being said, now that we see the desperation of the psalmist, now let's go ahead and look at why he's so desperate. I mean, what is this man walking through that he's so desperate to hear from God? What type of affliction makes him pray to God with this sense of desperation. Read with me verses 3 through 11. Let's look at the afflicted man. For my days vanish like smoke, and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is suffering, withered like grass. I even forget to eat my food. Because of the sound of my groaning, my flesh sticks to my bones. I'm like an eagle owl, like a little owl among the ruins. I stay awake, I am like a solitary bird on a roof. My enemies taunt me all day long, they ridicule and use my name as a curse. I eat ashes like bread and mingle my drinks with tears. Because of your indignation and wrath, for you have picked me up and thrown me aside. My days are like a lengthening shadow, and I wither away like grass. This is what he's saying here. His life only lasts for a short time. Just like smoke, it'll soon evaporate into thin air just as if he was never there. His bones are aching. His heart feels as though it is dried up like withered grass. Because of the pain he's going through, he cannot eat, and so he begins to feel malnourished as if his skin is sticking to his bones. He feels lonely and out of place like an owl in the desert. He feels rejected like he is an owl among the ruins. And because of all this pain and all this suffering... He is restless. His enemies are taunting him and mocking him. And now his life is full of mourning with ashes and weeping. 
And in fact, some would even say that these are the marks of mourning, ashes and weeping. And so, so these marks, ashes and weeping, became as familiar as food and drink to this man. And then we come to the end as the psalmist attributes the distress he is in. He attributes the distress and situation he's in to God himself and tells us that his days are like a lengthening shadow. And as soon as the sun goes away, it disappears and he will wither away like grass. And so we can clearly see that this man is afflicted. We can clearly see that he is desperate. He's in a situation where he is really afflicted. He's walking through a tough time. And many of us, we we would find it hard to relate to this because we may not be walking through that same situation, but the reality of it is that we all walk through affliction. We all walk through difficult situations. Let me ask you this. Have you ever felt isolated? Have you ever felt tired, restless, anxious, lonely, sick, ill, hopeless, or maybe even sad? The truth is that we all can relate to this man. We can read his cry and read his pain through his words, and we can see that in our own lives. But that's, that's not the only way we can relate. It doesn't stop there. You see, we should all be able to relate to these very words, not because of what we've been through, but because of the one whom we serve has been through. You see, we serve a king, but not just any king. We, see, we serve a king that suffered for us. He was beaten, mocked, bruised, whipped, flogged, stabbed. He prayed so hard that he started to sweat blood. He was crowned with thorns so thick and so tight that when it was put on his head, it would pierce his skin and pierce into his skull. And knowing all of the pain and knowing all of the suffering that he was about to walk through and that he did walk through, this is what he said in Luke 22, verse 42. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And again in Luke 23, verse 34. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. What kind of man can say that in the midst of suffering? What kind of man can say that in the midst of affliction? How can he perfectly obey the Father and have an insurmountable amount of love for the the people who are killing him? You see, at the end of the day, he's the afflicted man. Our Savior is the afflicted man man, or better known as the man of sorrows. The prophet Isaiah lays it out perfectly for us in chapter 53, if you want to turn there. This is a great passage to know. It, gave, it gives so much evidence to who Jesus is as the Messiah that some Jews and rabbis would totally ignore it. And so read with me. We're only going to read till verse, verse 7. But I encourage you all to go home and read this this passage. Read this chapter and think of Jesus. Isaiah chapter 53. Who has believed what we have heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him. No appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. 
He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses and he carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way. And the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter. And like a sheep silent before her shears, he did not open his mouth. Why is that important? Why does it matter if Jesus is the afflicted man? The man of sorrows, the one who bore our sins and iniquities, the one who who was crushed because of our iniquities, whose punishment was for our peace, who was seen as struck down by God and afflicted, who was pierced because of our rebellions, why does that matter? Because that's the one we turn to in our affliction. We turn to the man who was afflicted in our affliction. We turn to the one that that was crushed for our iniquities. We turn to the one that was mocked, bruised, whipped, flogged, and shamed when we are when we ourselves feel that way. And just as we are to turn to Jesus, the one who endured, the one who reigns forever, the psalmist finds hope when he turns to God. So in this very next section, you can turn back with me to Psalm 102. We're going to read how this psalmist actually turns to God. Just as we are to turn to Jesus, this psalmist makes a turn and he turns to God. And what he finds is hope. Verse 12 through 17. But you, Lord, are enthroned forever. Your fame endures to all generations. You will rise up and have compassion on Zion. For it is time to show favor to her. The appointed time has come. For your servants take delight in its stones and favor its dust. Then the nations will fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth your glory. For the Lord will rebuild Zion. He will appear in his glory. He will, uh, he will pay attention to the prayer of the destitute and will not despise their prayer. This is the hopeful man. Notice how he started off. Go back to verse 11. Look at this transition. He says, verse 11, My days are like a lengthening shadow, and I wither away like grass. But you, Lord, are enthroned forever. Your fame endures to all generations. The psalmist does something rather interesting here. What the psalmist is doing is that he's, he's contrasting, he's comparing his frailty his vulnerability, his transience to God's eternal, immutable, and constant nature. He goes from looking at himself, from looking at the situation he's in, from looking at the circumstance around his life, to looking at God himself. He goes from speaking of himself and how he feels to speaking of God and who he is. In these verses, we see that God is the eternal one. We see that he's the enthroned one, that he is enthroned forever. 
What's that mean? It, this means that he can be trusted, he's reliable, that, and ultimately that he hears. I mean, that's why he's lifting his prayer up to God. It's because God is a God who hears. Many of us, we, we, when we pray, we often, sometimes we have this doubt, does God really hear my prayer? But I can assure you, this man had no doubt. He had no doubt that his prayers were being heard. And when our minds are set on God, and on who God is, and on the enthroned God, we find strength and we find hope. Listen to me, the enemy has one job to do. He came to do one job, to steal, kill, and destroy in whatever way he can do that, he will. And so if that means getting our eyes, getting our attention focused on ourselves rather than God, that is what we'll do. And oftentimes that, that's what we do in the midst of affliction. When we are walking through difficult time, when we do feel lonely, when we do feel tired, when we are going through illness, when we are rejected, we often focus on ourselves and the situation we're in rather than who God is. And so when we set our minds, when we set our hearts, when we set our eyes on who God is, we find strength and we find hope. And so here's the thing, it can be so easy, it can be so easy to overlook that. It can be so easy to forget that when we are walking through a tough time. But we must declare the Word of God over our life. We must declare who He is to ourselves. It is praise and it is worship. It is strength and it is hope. Sometimes that's exactly what we have to do. We have to preach the truth to ourselves. He's eternal. He's enthroned. He's in control. He is good. He is faithful. He is merciful. He is active. And He is our victory. I could go on and on about, about God and who He is, and it's easy to say when life is good, right? Like, it's easy to say that when we're at the peak of our life, when we just got a promotion, when we just got married, when we just recovered from an illness. But what happens? What happens when you are in affliction? You declare. That's what the psalmist is doing, is that he is declaring who God is. A couple of weeks ago, I was walking around the neighborhood, um, pushing our baby around in the stroller, and, and this lady comes up to me and we start having a conversation and um, I told her how I'm the student director here and then she starts just opening up to me and how she's going through a difficult situation with her family and, and she doesn't know what to do because it's such a burden on her. And so, and, and she says something rather interesting to me is that she says that I've heard all the cliche sayings, right? My friends always send me the cliché sayings. They always send me Bible verses. They always send me these cliché sayings that, you know, God is going to carry you through. God has plans to prosper you and take care of you. That just like Noah's Ark, that God will provide. Just like the Red Sea, He will pro provide the way through it. Right? Just like how Peter walked on water, like she will walk on water if she sets her eyes on Jesus. So she heard all the cliche sayings. And she says, that doesn't help me. She says, that does not help me at all. 
She says, I know all of that. I've read all of that. I know all of that. What do I do? And I said to her, I said, well, I'm not a fan of cliche sayings. I said, go to Psalm 13. And I I took her to Psalm 13. And it's very much like this psalm. It starts off, how long, O Lord? How long do I have to wait for an answer? How long do I have to walk through this? But then in the middle of the psalm, he says, but I trust in you, for you have treated me generously. And so what the psalmist is doing there is, is even though he's waiting, even though he asks how long, he looks back at how generous God has been for him, and that provides the strength and the hope of who God is, because he knows. He knows that God is trustworthy. He knows that God keeps his promises. He knows that God is good. He knows that God is hope and God is strength. So listen to me. There's a reason why we declare these things about God. There's a reason why this man, why the psalmist is the hopeful man in this section. You see, hope is only found in the Lord. Without God, there is no hope. It's not found in your job. It's not found in others. It's not found in relationships. It's not found in friends. It's found in the Lord. It's found in God. See, without God, there is no good future that you can expect with confidence. I mean, that's what hope is, right? That you can expect with confidence that something will happen that is good in the future. So even though what you're going through right now is hard, you know you are confident in the God who has promised something good in the future. And that can only, only be found in God. Let me show you 1 Peter 1, verse 3 through 4 says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17 and 18. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And then Revelation 21, verse 3 through 4. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. He will... They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more, because the previous things have passed away. And so we can be confident. We have hope. We have a hope, a confidence that one day, one day, Jesus will reign. That one day there will be no more crying. One day there will be no more sorrow. One day there will be no grief or pain. Only joy. And then go to verse, look at verse 15 with me. He says this, Then the nations will fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth 
your glory. For the Lord will rebuild Zion. He will appear in his glory. He will pay attention to the prayer of the destitute and not despise their prayer. One day. But not only that, he does not despise your prayer. He hears you and he welcomes it. In fact, let me just, let me just show you how wonderful our God is. In Revelation chapter 8, what's happening is, is there in heaven that there is worship going on. That all of heaven is worshiping God. And you know what God does? He shuts down the worship for 30 minutes. For 30 minutes, he stops all of the worship that's happening in heaven. And verse 5 says this, The smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up in the presence of God from the angel's hands. The God we serve shut down worship in heaven so he can hear the prayers of his saints. He shushes all of heaven for 30 minutes so that our prayers arise like sweet-smelling perfume to God. He delights in our prayers, and he welcomes it. See, the psalmist knows that the Lord does not despise his cry. The psalmist knows that the Lord will not despise his cry. And then he gives, he goes on. In the very next verses, he goes on from the situation situation he's in, and he goes on to give hope to the future generation. Look with me in verses 18 through 28. This will be written for a later generation, and a people who have not yet been created will praise the Lord. He looked down from his holy heights. The Lord gazed out from heaven to earth to hear a prisoner's groaning, to set free those condemned to die, so that they might declare the name of the Lord in Zion and his praise in Jerusalem. When peoples and kingdoms are assembled to serve the Lord, he has broken my strength in mid-course. He has shortened my days. I say, my God, do not take me in the middle of my life. Your years continue through all generations. Long ago you established the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will endure. All of them will wear out like clothing. You will change them like a garment, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years will never end. Your servants' children will dwell securely, and their offspring will be established before you. So the psalmist's hope is in God. And not only that, that his hope that he says in verse 16, this will be written for a later generation and a people who have not yet been created. Praise the Lord. That was us when this was written. He was giving hope to us that we will praise the Lord. And one day, every knee will bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. The earth will pass away and be made new, but he is the same and he never ends. But more importantly, I don't want you to miss this. In the beginning, I said this psalm was unique. That was a penitential psalm, and then the other category was that it was messianic. And these very verses were quoted in Hebrews. We read it this morning. And what the writer is quoting in Hebrews, what he's doing is he's comparing Jesus, the Messiah, 
to the angels. Go ahead and turn there with me. Hebrews chapter 1. I'll give you a second to get there. And what the writer is doing here, he's showing how much more superior Jesus is. He's not just another prophet. He's just not, he's not just another man. He's just not someone who, who just performed another miracle. But he is the Son of God. We're going to read verses 10 through 12 together. And this is what it says. And in the beginning, Lord, you established the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like clothing. You will roll them up like a cloak, and they will be changed like clothing. But you are the same, and your years will never end. See, he's giving evidence to the divinity and nature of Jesus Christ as God. That in fact, Jesus is the one who was in the beginning. He was the one who established the earth. The heavens are the work of his hands. He is the one who will remain when the world perishes away like old clothing. By his power, the old earth will be made new. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And his years never end. So why is this important? To understanding this psalm. Here's why. Once you realize, once you realize that Jesus is God, that He is everlasting, that He is the sustainer, that He is the creator, that He is the eternal one, you gain hope in the midst of affliction. You know the one who is in control. You know the one who hears your prayers. You know the one who intercedes on your behalf. And you can be confident that he hears your cry. And even more than that, you know that what you are going through here, what you are going through right now, what you're walking through here on this earth is not without purpose. It all has a purpose, no matter what it is. Marital conflicts, um, loneliness, rejection, addiction, whatever it is, whatever you're walking through has a purpose. Every single second of it. There's not a second that goes by that when you walk through something in obedience to Christ that it is not preparing for you an eternal, eternal amount of glory. I just read it, if you didn't catch it, in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17 and 18. Paul writes this, for our momentary light affliction. See what he's doing there? I think that's amazing. Paul calls suffering and persecution light affliction. Why? Not because it's easy to walk through, but because of the eternal weight of glory that it's preparing beforehand. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an, inco- an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. What does that mean? So we do not focus on what is seen. We do not focus on the circumstances around us. We do not focus on what we're walking through, what we're struggling with, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. See, every second... Every second that we walk through affliction and obedience to Christ has a purpose. And it's light compared 
to the eternal amount of glory that is preparing for us. So we do not look at the illness. We do not look at the loneliness. We do not look at the depression. We do not look at the affliction, but we look at God. We look at who God is. We set our eyes on God. We set our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So Ashley River, what's your affliction this morning? Is it addiction, the loss of a loved one, the sudden onset or struggle of an illness? Is it weariness, anxiety, or maybe even confusion? Whatever it is, whatever you're walking through, whatever you will walk through, lift it up to the God who hears, to the God who knows, to the God who sent His one and only Son to die for you. And in that affliction, in that pain, in that sorrow, remember that there is hope that one day, one day we will be in His presence with no pain, no sorrow, no grief, no tears, but only joy, only worship, only praise. And that's the hope that you cling to. You don't cling to the external circumstances around your life. You don't claim to money. You don't cling to your spouse. You cling to Jesus. You cling to the one who came and died for you. You cling to God. And if you're here today and and you aren't going through affliction or, or you're not sure how this would relate to you, here's what I would say to you. Cling to the word of God. For that is the only thing in your life that is constant. The earth will pass away like clothing. Your life will pass away like withered grass. But the word of God will remain forever. He is the only thing that's constant. He's the only thing that will remain. And not only that, but be someone. Be someone who brings this message of hope. Who brings the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to the lost, to the hopeless, to the rest of the world. You have the message. You've heard the message. And now you are called to go and share that message. We are called to go and share the good news, the gospel that God sent His one and only Son to die for us, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And we take that message, we take that message of hope, we take it to a world that is broken, that is blighted, that is withered like grass, and is vanishing like smoke, just like the afflicted man was. We take it to those people, because those are the ones who need So let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your message of hope that you have given us, that you are the one that remains, that you are the eternal one, that you are the enthroned one, God. And I pray that as we walk through affliction, that we would set our eyes on you and not our circumstance, that we will look to you for strength and hope, And that with that, we would be able to carry the gospel to others. We would be able to carry the gospel to a world that is broken, 
to a world that is blighted, to a world that is withering away like grass and is vanishing like smoke. In Jesus' name, amen.